Trevor Hansen and Steve Kazari are their names. Those are the names of the referees who blew the game last night at PPG Paints Arena. Say their names. Don't let them off the hook by calling them refs or the league or Gary Bettman. Good morning to you. Good Wednesday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. This is Daily Shot of Penguins. It comes your way bright and early every weekday if you're into football and or baseball. I also offer daily shots of Steelers and Pirates that I hope you'll check out. Hurricanes 3, Penguins 2 in overtime. Hurricanes getting a two-on-none after Brian Rust was mauled from behind and sent into the boards. The most obvious boarding call you will ever see at any level of this sport. And maybe because it happened in three-on-three overtime when you're not expecting major infractions to occur because they almost never do. Maybe just because the old ref's edict that I don't want to decide the outcome of the game. Whereas, ironically, by adopting such a stance, you are deciding the outcome of that game. Maybe they just somehow missed it, even though it occurred where the puck was and where almost all of the skaters, all six of them between the two sides, had congregated. How you missed that? I don't know. So I'm going to lean toward one of the other two. Whichever it was... These two gentlemen completely blew it. They froze. It's the ugliest thing you can say about a ref, even more so than that they're crooked, because when you freeze, you're incompetent. You're not good enough to be refing at this level. You don't have a reaction, and the play continues, and because you didn't have a reaction, now you're stuck. The right arm can't go up. I don't know what the exact threshold is. Maybe it's like two seconds or something. But you look really lousy either way. If your arm goes up super late, then you changed your mind in midstream. And if your arm fails to go up when it should, in situations that it should, then you've got a different kind of problem. Whichever it was, for Trevor Hansen and Steve Kazari, they blew it because the Canes took this two-on-none, and even they looked a little hesitant to continue play, but they went down the rink and scored pretty much the way you would expect a two-on-none to be converted. Mike Sullivan immediately on the bench flipped out on both Trevor Hansen and Steve Kazari. This was what he had to say after having had a chance to cool down a little bit after the game. Well, when you <clears throat> excuse me, when you saw it from the bench up close at the speed it was it was at, um, that was the reaction. That reaction was real because it was a dangerous hit. So I disagreed with the call. Yeah, he was mad. They were all mad. They should be mad. This portion of Daily Shot of Penguins is brought to you by the good people at the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank, where they're committed to providing food for all of our neighbors in need across western Pennsylvania. They, in turn, need your help. Find out how 
one dollar can be turned into five full meals. For those in need, visit pittsburghfoodbank.org. Now, where do I place the blame for something like this? Let me scratch one thing off the list real fast, because I saw a little bit of it show up on social media after the game. The idea that the Penguins should have just kept playing like nothing had happened is completely, completely misguided. The Penguins saw a teammate go down with what they felt, you heard Sullivan use this term, was a dangerous hit. Your immediate reaction is, is he okay? Your secondary reaction, and this is the one that you could see happen on the bench, is that they're going to go bonkers because they obviously would want to get a power play for it. Both of those things happened. The Hurricanes also stopped. Not only did they stop, albeit momentarily, they had a player come on the rink. They thought play had stopped. They were sure play had stopped. How could play continue after a sequence like that? To forget that one. Now, I do blame Trevor Hansen and Steve Kazari because there are two referees out there, and for that matter, there are two linesmen, either of whom is authorized to call a major penalty. And if you call a major penalty in the NHL now, they can review it at headquarters and move it down to a minor. So you're not even taking that much of a risk by just putting up your arm and calling the major penalty and then letting the replay people figure it out. Neither of them did that either. Oh, and they have names as well. Ryan Jackson and Johnny Murray. Both of them failed as well. But ultimately... This does go to culture. And of course, ultimately, culture goes to the commissioner. This sport is constantly looking for ways out of legislating dangerous plays. They put the burden of proof in the exact spot where it doesn't belong. Prove to us that it was dangerous. No, man. <laughs> Prove to us that the play wasn't dangerous. Because we saw it, and it sure looked dangerous. Go the other route. Same goes for headshots, slashing, cross-checking, especially cross-checking across the neck or the spine. Let's see the pendulum of the benefit of the doubt swing in the other direction. Because if that were to happen, and any of these four individuals on the ice, Trevor Hansen, Steve Kazari, Ryan Jackson, and Johnny Murray, were to see Rust get hit like this from behind, that close to the boards, with the player seeing his number, seeing his number, which incidentally is like 90% of the criteria for making this call. And not one of the four reflexively, without even thinking, without processing anything at all, time of game, uh, the score, nothing, nothing. Who the perpetrator was, who the victim was, nothing. Their arm just needs to go shoot straight up in the air. Just like that. The sport would be so much safer. Would there be, uh, you know... The usual dinosaur people referring to wussies and whatever else and trying to make the game soft and whatever. Sure, they're out there. They exist. Would they be dead wrong? 
Yes. Do they comprise a tiny, 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 tiny percentage of the NHL's overall fan base? Yes. So what's the point here? What's the point? What was achieved by having this culture where none of these four officials thought, you know what? That that looked bad. My arm's going up. What a league, man. What a league. When we come back, J1Q. from Tony Vicari who asks DK how is Brian Dumoulin still getting ice time or even a spot on this roster every time there's a goal with him on the ice there he is swinging and missing not clearing the crease and generally looking lost Tony I have an obligatory disclaimer before I answer this one and that is when you see the other team score a goal on television, you will see a penguin or two in the picture. Almost always the goaltender, but almost always additionally someone else, at least one other skater and usually a defenseman. And because Dumoulin is more the stay-at-home type, he's going to be in that picture more than, let's say, a Chris Letang might. Okay, so now that I have that out of the way, you actually happen to be correct. Because watching Dumoulin in any setting, through any medium, including in person, it's very easy to see that he's struggling. I feel like he's been a little bit better over the past couple weeks, but I don't know to what extent that's him helping to orchestrate the Penguins' longish winning streak, or... If it's the winning streak kind of carrying Dumoulin along, uh, it's probably that answer is somewhere in the middle. I have not liked his play. I do not like the fact that he appears to be in a position with management and or the coaching staff that he can't possibly sit down for a game or two to get right. The respect for him is real and it's been earned but note my verb tense there it's been earned he was a significant part of two stanley cup championships was underappreciated at the time probably still is underappreciated for what he did then because when you mention the core or players who've been here a long time you'll get through a pretty long list before even saying dumoulin's name you're going to have your Chris Kunis's and your Pascal Dupuis and all these other guys, and then you're going to eventually get to Dumoulin. So I understand where the respect has been earned. I also understand that nothing lasts forever. He's in the final year of his contract. The Penguins don't owe him anything beyond the money that's been paid and the respect that's already been shown. So why is there this fierce seemingly commitment to having him play every shift as if there's nothing wrong. They all know something's wrong. Dumoulin himself has acknowledged that his game isn't where it needs to be. 
So what are they doing? What makes him sacred? You could say, well, who are they going to put in for him? Someone also mentioned Ty Smith, uh, the young kid that they picked up from the Devils in the John Marino trade. And, you know, the easy counter to that is that he's got to work on his play in his own end, something that he's focused on in Wilkes-Barre. You can point out that Chad Ruedel, who had to fill in last night for Chris Letang, who was ill, can play either side. You don't like him on his left side, but he can do it. So the options aren't overwhelming. But I will say that once Smith shows and convinces, really, the people in charge that he's ready, he's got to get up here and play. And when he does, he's got to get up here and play in place of Dumoulin. I appreciate the question. I appreciate everyone listening to Daily Shot of Penguins. We'll do another one of these tomorrow. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.